Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome back to season two of the Prepoint Pod. It's great to be back. We're starting this season with a very special guest, Georgia Dostal. And Georgia is best known as the Balanced Ballerina. She hosts her own podcast, the Balanced Ballerina's podcast, and has been teaching for over 10 years. You can find Georgia at GC Dance on the Gold Coast. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Georgia. Thank you so much for coming on to the Prepoint Pod. It's a pleasure to have you. I would like to ask firstly, though, what is it like to be on the other side of the interview? It's actually quite relaxing, really. <laughs> and I'm going to try and do my best, Louise, to not, like, take over and start interviewing you again. So just keep <laughs> me on track, okay? <laughs> I'll, do, I'll try. So, yeah, first question I have, tell our audience, if they don't know you already, about all the feathers that you've got in your cap. Um, okay, where do I begin? So, I mean, I started ballet when I was three years old and I fell in love instantly. I remember my mom taking me to a performance and I was, you know, really enjoying it, but I just wanted to be up there on stage. After that, we moved to Queensland and I just kept, you know, the most important thing to me was finding a dance school. And I was very angry at mom for taking too long at finding another ballet school. And I stayed at that ballet school for quite a long time until I decided to do some full-time training. So I went down to the Australian Ballet School, did all of that. And then I sort of said to myself, I don't know if like a professional life as a ballerina is for me. So I actually gave it all up. I ended up when I was down at the Aussie Ballet sort of disappearing I guess from some of the more uh, leisurely classes to go to Melbourne Uni and sit in on the back of lectures (laughs) and I really (laughs) it's like it's almost like because I never had that sort of like normalcy um, I wanted to be like a normie in quotation marks and go and see what academic life or like school life was like because you know being a student was such a foreign concept for like a a pre-professional ballerina And my mum was like, this is ridiculous. You need to come home. And so anyway, so I ended up going to uni and a lot of people think that I studied um, dance, but I didn't. I studied a Bachelor of Communications, which 
I'll be honest, is the best thing I ever did because a Bachelor of Communications has helped me so much with running my businesses. And I think sometimes a lot of people open studios without a business background. So I already had that that you know inkling that I wanted to run a business and I actually wasn't even sure that it was going to be in the dance industry but whilst I was at uni I started having um, people ask me to teach and I thought oh well it's better pay than working at a bar or in retail mind you I ended up in a retail job as well I, I loved working so I worked so much but um, when I was teaching I sort of fell back in love with ballet and um and I kind of thought to myself when I was teaching at all these studios I think I can do a good job of this so when I finished uni I actually it's funny Louise I remember going into our careers counsellor at University of Queensland and he was like so where to from here and I was like you know what I'm actually not really needing your assistance um this is my business plan and I'm going to open a dance studio and he just laughed and thought it was so random and the next thing I did was give my business plan to my parents and they actually turned me back the first time not because I was asking for money or anything but because they actually didn't want me to live that entrepreneurial lifestyle they wanted me to sort of go out into the workforce. And so I did. I ended up getting a really random job in a brewery. I loved doing the marketing for them. <laughs> I drank lots of beer. <laughs> and, um, lived a great normal life for a little bit. And then I said to them, no, I'm sorry, I fine-tuned my business plan. This is what I want to do. And so we made it happen, which I was really fortunate. And the location I was in um, and the studio I opened was GC Dance. And we were in that same location for 10 years. Mm. Um, recently, we moved to our beautiful new location. And during That's that, lovely. Yeah. Um, I love our new studio. We worked very hard for it. I'm still working very hard for it. <laughs> but um, basically, the reason we changed locations was because we've I really developed a huge adult ballet program so we needed a space that was you know I wanted it to feel mature and luxurious and like a fancy yoga studio you know not like a place that three-year-olds come to 12 and you know you know um, swing their little fairy wands around <laughs> mind you we have lots of that going on too but I wanted it to feel really like luxe and so now we have a really big, even bigger adult ballet program and our school-aged kids um, GC dance. But the adults are under the banner Balance Ballerinas and um, under that banner, gosh, what is there? Workshops, podcasts, online courses. Have I missed anything? Blog. <laughs> you name it. It's like my creative space. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that enough? Have I given you the, the nutshell? Yeah, I think it's great. And obviously, you, so you mentioned the podcast, so Balance Ballerina's podcast, which I have to say has been a good inspiration for me with the Prepoint pod. So I guess listening to some earlier episodes versus some more recent episodes, like how has it grown and changed? Have you noticed it growing and changing over the years? Yeah, so... I have to admit, I actually feel like I'm at a little bit of a crossroads with the podcast. I absolutely love it. But as you know, it actually takes a lot of time to sort of, whether it's the organizing of a guest, that takes a lot of time, finding a time, especially if they're international, that suits both of you. 
um, trying to organize even what guests you want on. You know, you don't you want them to align with your brand and your philosophy, you know, as much as possible. And then um, just the editing and uploading, and, and I don't even do that many edits. And then if you've got someone wanting to sponsor an episode, you have to, you know, it's great. I've had it happen a couple of times. But the problem with the sponsorship is that you then have to send off, you know, um, drafts of what you're going to say and get them to approve what you're going to, you know. So it's really lovely. But then that's a whole nother full time business, too. So I I think in the beginning, almost every episode was interview based with a guest. And then I did a couple of solo apps and they actually had a lot of listens, um, sometimes more so. Mm. So I sort of then started mixing up between guests and solo episodes. And I think they sort of went for quite a long time, like, you know, over an hour. And I just find now with a baby coming along, (laughs) I I really want to, yeah, I want to keep the podcast going. I don't want to be that person that just disappears when they have a baby. Like it's not in my nature anyway, but I'm just trying to work out how I can keep the high vibes of the podcast going and the Balance Ballerina's philosophy and get some interesting guests, but also try and streamline it in a way that it can sort of run a bit more like clockwork does that make sense (laughs) yeah absolutely so it's interesting yeah I mean it seems like something that's so easy to do and it's such a flexible thing but you're right like it it does take a lot of organization um and yeah you really have to sort of think about about the message that you want or I guess if you're inviting somebody on you want to know where it's going to go and what the point of the talk will be sometimes Yeah. Um, that, there's been some lovely conversations where I thought it was going to go somewhere and it went somewhere completely differently, which is always really lovely. Yeah. 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 So I guess, can we balance the Balanced Ballerina podcast? That's kind of a good question. That is so the question. And I think longtime listeners will have noticed, and I've even said in a few of the solo apps that episodes might get a bit shorter. But I think with people's attention spans, that's not the worst thing in the world anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to have a combination, I think. Yeah. 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 So one of the things you do discuss, though, which I'm very impressed about and actually so grateful that there is a platform like that for dancers, but you talk about a lot of health issues. So I guess I'm interested to know why that is so important to you as a dance teacher and a dancer. Um, I've actually been really interested in health and wellness before wellness was even a word, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've always been really interested about what I put in my body. And especially when I left the Australian Ballet School, I started really, it's funny, and this shouldn't have been the inspiration for it. But I remember when I left full time training, people said to me, Oh, you know, at maybe a family barbecue, having some birthday cake. Oh, be careful. You're not full-time dancing anymore. It'll just go straight to your hips, you know? So after a few funny comments, I thought to myself, you know, oh, maybe I should really, you know, just not necessarily watch what I eat, but what am I eating? And just be really mindful of that um, and started to really fuel my body. And I guess that's where it started, that, that sort of notion of, 
of looking at my what I put into my body as fuel, which is funny because I should have been doing that back when I was a full-time dance student. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, not had such bad a bad, you know, in reason for the inspiration. And so I think um yeah, that was probably the first part. The second part was I have really sensitive skin and I've suffered from eczema my whole life. And it wasn't until in my early 20s I met a um, skin specialist, Dr. Pete Smith, and he sat me down and he actually said, you can clear this. It's just what you're eating. So he made me do a um, meal diary and he just like cut all this stuff out, but more importantly, added lots of stuff. Yeah. So this is where I started learning about avocados and good oils and nuts and seeds and then some really random foods that I really shouldn't be having for eczema, something as simple as um, gum. It's got full of salicylates and so yeah, right. gum, really bad if you have eczema and little bits and pieces like that. And so that's when I really went down that path. But I think one of the reasons why for me health is such an important topic um, alongside ballet on the podcast is because I don't know how to teach or live any other way because as a dancer your body is your tool and you've got to look after it and you have to you know it's all intrinsically linked so I I don't know how to not talk about it if that makes sense yeah perfect sense I think that's a really um a really yeah good way to to explain the way that your interest developed and I guess your passion for continuing that I really like the way that you also advocate for ballet as a health tool because it is a form of physical activity and yeah. so interestingly I've been having a look at a few sort of reports and things through my research as well and finding like the Ausplay reports which are basically reports and they just research different physical activities that kids do under the age of 15 for example and then do they continue those into adulthood yeah. Um, you know, because it's a public health question, really. But one of the things that surprised me most was that ballet and dance was the fourth most popular physical activity for, for kids under, under the age of 15. But mm. then that drops off as they get older. Yeah. Um, and, and health and poor health and injury are one of, I think, one of the most common reasons why that happens as well. But like, I guess I'm super interested in balanced ballerinas and the concept of adult ballet I love the way that you're so supportive of integrating ballet into a healthy lifestyle as a, a form of exercise because it's something that I think Australian society skimps out on a lot <laughs> yeah so yeah where have you always done ballet classes for adults or is that something that has sort of come along after a, a um, an epiphany or a moment of yeah, so it, it wasn't really an epiphany. It wasn't really a moment. I can't even take full credit for it, if I'm honest. I can now, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> back then, um, the reason we started adult ballet, in all honesty, is because my dad said, "You at the time when I first opened my studio, I only had about 50, 60 students. Um, now we've got like over 200, but school-age mm. students. And he said to me, look, Georgia, you know, my, my parents are very entrepreneurial. They've always kept me on track. My mom is now my business partner. She does all our book work. That yeah. is not a strong suit. And numbers is not my thing. And they sat me down. They went, Georgia, you need to work out. You know, we're just the numbers people. You need to work out how to fill the studio space either during the day or later at night or get some more revenue in the building. 
Mm. And we had um, a mum of one of my students say, I would love to do some ballet. Mm. And then I had someone ask me for adult ballet classes because they were auditioning for a musical and they said they needed some ballet training. And I thought, oh, maybe there's something here. And so I went away and I said, hey, dad, I think I've got a good way to do this. I'm going to do some adult ballet classes. And I, I don't know, I think he was sort of like, oh, I don't think so. Maybe you should just hire the place for some yoga, you know. Um, <laughs> and I tried that too as well. So I tried to hire the space for some yoga classes. And anyway, what stuck was I started a Monday night adult ballet class. And the first time, the first class we had, I think maybe maybe 10 people show up. Like it was pretty good. Yeah. The next next week I had like 25, 30 people show up and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm onto something, but I also need to quickly work out a booking system. So (laughs) so I figured out the booking system and then I added another class. And so I added a Tuesday morning class. So originally ballet was only Monday nights and Tuesday mornings, uh, adult ballet. Nowadays we have, oh my gosh, two, four, six, eight. We have about 10 adult ballet classes, if not a couple more. So um, considering we have a full-time table for our school-age students, that's all we can manage to fit in. And we could probably put some more in if we could, but we can't. Um, We simply can't fit them in. But the adult ballet now has been running over a decade and, you know, it's been a slow burn whilst it may look really fast and really successful on the outside now, there were times where I had, you know, an advanced ballet class with only three people in it for six months. But I think the consistency of like letting my clients know I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to run this class for you no matter what. I did that for so many years. And I think that persistence has paid off now. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. I think um, obviously your dance school's located on the Gold Coast as well, which is a city, but it's not a major metropolitan city in Brisbane yeah. or Melbourne or Sydney. Um, so I guess I've, t- I've spoken to a few teachers, especially growing up on the northern rivers of New South Wales, and they've tried to get adult classes going. And it yeah. is just hard to have consistent, I guess, consistent students. So the fact that that it's going you know, 10 years running strong is pretty good. <laughs> and yeah. I think always my question back at people, because I get this all the time. Oh, mm. George, how do you get, you know, your students' consistency? Mm. And I'll be honest, yes, there are some students that are very consistent, but also they're adults. So some of them, yep. like I've got a client that's really consistent, but she's currently on holidays for four weeks in Thailand. That's yep. almost half our term. My question back at people trying to create consistent adult ballet classes and complaining that their students aren't consistent, Mm -hmm. are you consistent? Because I never take a sick day and I don't necessarily think that that's a healthy thing. Like I feel like there should be some balance. Um, There should be a backup person that can take over for you. But 99% of the time I am they're ready for their class and I don't cancel last minute and I think when you provide that consistency on a long-term basis um, you then it's reciprocated but it's also really important to like let people know how amazing doing adult ballet or dance is like 
you were talking about the stats and figures and research before and during my um, I'm studying this year my diploma with the Royal Academy of Dance and there's been um, some really interesting research that I've come across that you know and I think it's important to share that like I was just looking at my notes before I wrote this down um, literally yesterday that the role of exercise in reducing risk of many conditions, including cardiovascular disease, stroke, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, that's a big one, obesity, cancer, anxiety, depression, and just in general improves students' uh, adults' balance. You have to demonstrate that within your community and get that message out there. So, and I think when you do that and you show up and commit to that, um, you'll have people showing up you know, at your door. Yeah, and that is an, an important point about consistency too. I think a lot of ballet schools operate on a school term, but I guess a lot of adults don't necessarily operate on a school term. No, they don't. <laughs> it, it might just be that, you know, during school holidays is a time when they can actually go to a ballet class. So to have it inconsistent, yeah, it's that's, yeah, a really good point. Mind you, though, I do take school holidays off. I find with my um, adult students, they they hate it when the school holidays roll around. But it's <laughs> actually nice because I tell them it gives you a chance to miss me and to miss ballet and see that your body gets a little bit stiff and see that your body gets a little bit sad from missing it. And then you come back and you're like ready to go again. <laughs> yeah. And I note too now people can book in for one-on-one -on -one coaching with you online as well. So I guess it makes you even more accessible in many ways. <laughs> yes. So the, um, yeah, the online space is interesting. Um, I probably run my online course a little bit differently to other online courses or Zoom classes. I don't do Zoom classes. I get that message all the time. I don't necessarily enjoy teaching Zoom classes. And I kept being asked by balanced ballerinas around the world because it really is like, which is just blows my mind every time I say it. it's like a worldwide community now. Mm -hmm. And they'd go, well, I can't come to the Gold Coast and do a class. And so I developed the online course that it was on demand because adults need to do something in their own time. And the most important thing was that it was going to be super safe to do at home. So mm -hmm really safe to do at home because there's things that I truly believe we should not be doing at home without a proper flooring and you'd agree with that with the, as being a physio <laughs> no, yeah, yep no, yep no and also having experience running into the coffee table quite a few times myself <laughs> exactly exactly so it was really important to me to create a course that was really um accessible didn't need too much more equipment and was really safe to do at home and so they book in if they do my 12-week course they do their one-on-ones as more of a check-in it's mm. actually more of a how are you going with the content this little check-in keeps you motivated and we usually discuss some topics that come up yeah <laughs> yeah that's great um I've got some other questions so I guess moving on from that so you've been teaching for over 10 years now and I listened to an episode actually of your podcast and it was about giving corrections, which I'm really interested in because as a physio, obviously I have to give corrections when people are doing exercises as well. And the take home message was it's the wording that counts, which I do agree with as well. Um, and I guess when you're crit criticizing or critiquing or offering, you know, even if it's constructive criticism, you I guess I'm always very careful about how I'm saying things and what I'm saying and the 
the the tone and the the intention and things like that um yeah like how I one thing that I did sort of think was how do you coach things that you're not very good at because it's it can be quite hard I mean it's when you're good at doing things or you understand things really well you can explain them to people better right but like for example, if I were trying to teach somebody how to do a pirouette, I was never very good at pirouettes. <laughs> I feel like my advice is totally invalid. How do you approach that in your in your teaching? Is there a way that you get around that? Um, I think that part is really a collaborative kind of process. So not only am I trying to work out, okay, like, for example, I love jumping. I love Allegro. You know, that was always my thing. My teachers were like, how oh, are you jumping so high, Skippy? Like I had a coach that used to call me Skippy. And I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So when a student in the past was like, oh, well, how, do I, how can I jump that high? I had to break that down and work out, you know, the mechanics of, of um, how I jumped. And I think... For things that you're not necessarily fabulous at, the same process applies. But see, I actually think because, say, for example, pirouettes, mm. I'm a bit similar to you in that regard, is that that naturally didn't come to me. I had to work really hard at it. And I actually think you're better off teaching the things that you're bad at because you had to work at it. Whereas the things that you're really good at, I think they're harder to teach because it just came naturally to you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, yeah, but for both, for either or, for yeah. either or, you have to break down the mechanics of it. Do you know what I mean? And sort of, especially with things where you're not necessarily good at, you have to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, what's out there resources wise? Okay, um, a great one. I look at PBT, Marie's Progressing Ballet Technique exercises. That usually always saves me <laughs> um, yeah. in the teaching process. And just be open to new ideas and testing. And the way that I think it's a collaborative process is that you're not only testing it on yourself or testing your own teaching practices, you're asking your fellow teachers at your studio, what do you do to help with this? And then you're also testing it out on the students and getting that instant feedback. I know very quickly if something's not working. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, next week we're going to try something different. And that's when you say to the class, okay, this is not going to work for everyone, but it might work for one person. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. Absolutely. And on that note too, sorry, going back to the whole, um, yeah. you know, giving corrections and it's the wording that counts. Have you got any moments that spring to mind where, you know, you've come across some wording and used it? And I mean, I know that you've talked about this in your podcast, but yeah you've sort of found it really worked for like, say, I don't know, a certain percentage of the group. And then the other group were like, oh no, it's an awful correction. I don't like it. I don't know. Yeah. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think when I first started teaching, I found that a lot that was coming out of my mouth was, was what my teachers taught me. And yeah. it was just like regurgitating. And I actually think that there's some teachers that go on their whole lives teaching like that, just regurgitating what was said to them. Mm. And I think that as the years have gone by, I probably did that for about, if I'm honest, three to four years. And after that mark, I really tried to become my own teacher and to sort of 
um, come up with phrases. I love how like every teacher has a catchphrase, you know, like yeah. little phrases about things. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've really tried to develop my own. And, you know, I had some students the other day going on about they were going to create a T-shirt with all my favourite words on it that I use in class. But I definitely have taken inspiration from past coaches and teachers that have been incredible. Um, and I've really kept that, you know, little nuggets of gold that that are still valuable and still um, resonate today. Like, But also I think with comments and corrections in class, there's two things. There's, And I don't know if I even mentioned this in that podcast episode, but it's really important to have some fun like make sure it's light a good example of that would be my old coach Paul Boyd he used to say when he did a chasse pas de beret with um, the legs a little bit wider and not on the correct angle that it looks like you're wearing a dirty nappy (laughs) and every time I have said that literally for 10 years everybody in the class giggles even if they've heard me say it literally for the last 10 years 100 times so I think, you know, lightheartedness goes a long way, um, making everybody laugh. And it also makes them not do it. (laughs) So to avoid it, but also a really good compliment sandwich goes a long way. So every time I have a hard hitting correction or need to really drill something down, I have already said something lovely before and I will finish with saying something lovely after. So constantly, because I think, and I spoke, I definitely spoke about this in that episode. I do think that everyone is very hypersensitive these days. Um, I don't know whether that's because of the pandemic. I don't know whether that's because of just the world we live in. It's so fast paced. There's so much going on. Everyone has anxiety. I, you know, there's not a lot you can say without it really dramatically impacting someone everyone takes everything to heart and so I think to sort of get the correction through you have to really sandwich it between some compliments which isn't a bad thing because there's always something to compliment about like there's always something lovely that the students are doing so it's not hard yeah true true (laughs) the dirty nappy one I haven't I don't think I've heard that um but I, yeah, Jeanette, similarly, Jeanette Mulligan, I had some classes with her when I was dancing and she used to talk about articulation of the metatarsals, like licking ice cream from the floor. And she used to say, oh, oh I like that flavor of ice cream are you having today? And I'm sort of like a bit of a, um, a sensory, like, yeah. like it's sort of a bit jarring sensory because you're like, oh, imagine licking ice cream off the floor. But then also this makes total sense. Like with my feet, I'm articulating my feet. So oh, I really love that. I think I'm going to steal it. Thank you, Jeanette. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, acknowledge her in the, in the show notes. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah. Ballet for boys. Let's just completely flip topics. Yeah. Do you teach many boys? Where do you think ballet for boys is going? I mean, it's something that gets cycled around so many times. It, it still is, I think, at the community level, dance participation for boys is a lot lower than it is for girls or males and females, if we're being binary about it. But yeah, what what are your thoughts? I don't know. I have a few thoughts at the moment because I'm currently 20 weeks pregnant with a boy. What's interesting about that is seeing people's comments when they find out I'm having a boy. 
Yeah. And now if I was having a girl, everyone would be assuming that they would do ballet or, oh, my gosh, you're going to have a little ballerina on your hands or, you know, I'd probably start receiving little ballet shoe gifts or little mini tutus. I think it's fabulous that I'm having a boy because I'm surrounded by so many girls. Um, (laughs) But people's um, responses are are interesting. They'll either say, oh, Dan loves surfing, doesn't he? So how good you've got a little surfer on your hands. Or they'll say, what a shame, like, um, you know, oh, or maybe he could do ballet. Would you let him do ballet? And that's the wording. Would you let him do ballet? Of course they would let him do ballet. And like my husband and I have discussed this and we've said if he wants to do ballet, he can do ballet. I mean, chances are he's going to be hanging around a studio quite a lot. Yeah, He's either going to be really into it or he's going to be like, absolutely not. Um, And so it's interesting because no one would sort of, I mean, I could be wrong, but no one I can imagine would say, would you let her do ballet? Do you know what I mean? And I think society still has that stigma attached to boys doing ballet that they're, you know, more feminine or, you know, or not necessarily heterosexual. And so I think there's some dads that have a real issue with it. Um, And I think that just has to disappear. Like we're in 2023. Do you know what I mean? And it is funny, like, I think it is slowly disappearing, the comments that I've had where it's like, oh, will you let him do ballet or that, you know, he wouldn't do ballet at all have come from an older generation, Um, which is interesting. Whereas, you know, my husband and his friends, you know, um, have gone, oh, yeah, if you want to do ballet, that's all right. (laughs) You know, my husband would secretly love him to be a golfer (laughs) and play golf with him. But, you know, and I mean, chances are he probably will. But I mean, um, just do both as well. Like, you know, they're probably right. not mutually exclusive. That's the other thing that's wild, exactly. you know. He can do whatever he wants. He can do multiple activities, or not too many, you know, balance. But, um, you know, it's funny, like we have quite a few boys here and I love how supportive their parents are of their ballet endeavours. We have a really, I'll tell you a cute story about one of our students. Um, so... One of our little boys at GC Dance, he was watching at a parent watching day, his sister do her primary ballet class. And it was like in the middle of the year. So the students were looking like really sharp. They were ready for exam work. And so they were, you know, all filing in in a line. They did their exercises. They all filed beautifully into the center. There was, you know, you know, that middle of the year where there's just real structure to the class. They're in a routine. It's and all like, yeah. yeah, it's like little robots, <laughs> little ballet robots, and in a good way. Anyway, this young man came up to me at the end of class and he said, um, Hi, Miss Georgia. I'm, you know, Kelsey's brother, Colin, and I'm going to start ballet with you next term. And I was like, Okay, Colin. And I was like, that, That's fine. And then he li- literally just walked out. His mum came up to me and said, He was just mesmerized by the whole thing. He's always wanted to be in the army. Right. And he watched the ballet class and how structured and routine it was. And he was like, this is like being in the army. I need to do this. And it was so funny because he has a little buzz cut, like if he was in the army. That is his. (laughs) And um, 
And so he is like one step in his eyes to being in the army because it's like discipline. And the cutest thing is that Colin's been a student of mine for so many years now. And he recently went for his very first audition for the Queensland Ballet Academy and he got it. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Is he so, going to be in the army? Oh, you know what? I, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> he might still join the army. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how boys, I always find boys' stories interesting about how they come to ballet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I find that they're always very um, driven by external kind of um, goals. It's interesting. I've got a few adults that have come through the doors over the years, um, some men, and their goals are very different to the women, very different. Um, women come in and they're sort of like, you know, this is some me time, this is like, um, finding myself landing in my own body it's really intrinsic and really internal I will have a male client come in and go I was watching Black Swan and I want to learn how to do those triple pirouettes and so yeah. I have to explain or fuetes and I have to explain that well we don't just do fuetes in class we have to do a whole series of steps that lead up to that you've also never done ballet in your life so you know we'll, we'll might come to that down the track let's start with plies so they're very um very different goal orientated to females it's I find it fascinating yeah you have a, a really good point there I actually um have been working out of a clinic in Brisbane that's owned by um a, another physio who's big into powerlifting and he actually I've known him for a long time and he said to me I want to come to a ballet lesson with with you and I'm thinking well I don't really I don't actually take class super regularly anymore but I'll happily go to a ballet class with you and he said yep I really want to go because I really want to improve my hip flexibility so I can get right down in the bottom of my deadlifts for my yeah. said okay sure and then actually because he was going my my husband said to me oh well if he's going I want to go with you too you know as a bit of a competitive sort of oh, as well if he's going to go you know and um, the two of the, the pair, the two of them in, in this class, I had to really, really have an intrinsic moment, have an, an, an intrinsic experience and just focus on myself because I would have just been on the floor in stitches. But they gave it such a good go. And their observations after the class were really different to what I thought they would be as well. Like they were saying, it was so hard to stand on one leg for so long. And I yep. just thought, wow, okay, yeah, true. I'd never, ever thought that that would be your observation. And one of the things my husband said, I hope he forgives me for putting this in the podcast, but he said, how come all those ladies can do a pirouette, but I can't do a pirouette? And I just sort of thought, oh, well, you know, they've probably been going for quite a while, you know, that that was your first lesson. Like it's... Yeah, they're really like, I want a different word, but they're very cocky at their first lesson. And like males are just like, well... I can do that. And then they realize they can't do it. And then they get very frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe it is about, yeah, when we're trying to attract males to dance, that we need to think about those extrinsic motivators, make it more complex or something. Yeah. And the language. Absolutely. All right. I know that we're running out on time, running out of time. Sorry, because you have to go and teach soon. So I might finish off with my favorite question, the question that I ask everyone, but what is your favorite pair of or your preferred pair of point shoes? 
I love it. And um, it's funny, like people think I'm always going to answer with like a pair of point shoes, especially because I'm, I was blessed with really nice feet. And so you would think that I would be like going for a really like fancy Russian pair that, you know, I don't wear in too quickly or something that make my feet work really hard. I was like really into ease as a young dancer and I loved a good Gainer Minden point shoe. I yeah. loved that extra spring from it. I loved that, you know, they lasted me ages so I didn't have to sew the ribbons on them a hundred times. Um, the only um, time I really changed was when I was at Aussie Ballet School and Mom, what what happened was I don't even know if they do this anymore, but we had access to the company's um, point shoe closet. Yeah, and if we could find a pair that fitted us, but you know they weren't going to make them for us like they do the company members. We had to find a pair, you know, a, a specific company member that we were their exact size. We loved their shoe. We could have them for thirty dollars. Yeah, um, which was a very very good price. Oh yeah, yeah. I think they still do that. But I was going to say, yeah, I was like, oh, did ABS let you wear um, Gain or Minden's? But anyway, there's more to the story. No, they, they actually did let me wear them. But the thing was my mum, because they were very expensive, even back like I think there's they were still two hundred over $200 a pair. And my mum said to me, you make sure that you fit a pair of those shoes in that point shoe closet. Oh. <laughs> and okay. I was Oh, obviously with love, but I was, and obviously with, if I didn't, of course she was going to keep buying me point shoes, but I was like, I'm going to find a pair. And it just so happened that I ended up in the same pair that Lucinda Dunn had, and she was my idol. So all my point shoes growing up um, during that time had Dunn written on them, D-U-N-N. What an inspiration though, just even on those tough days, just... Lucinda Dunn's shoes you know know. and I didn't even it's funny though I didn't even keep any of them either it's so funny when I left Aussie Ballet I left everything in my locker everything there even my tutu but yeah I would have loved to have still had some of those shoes but um yeah so block not even a specific make because they were Lucinda Dunn's make and um, yeah and um loved myself some Gaina Mindens yeah (laughs) and you went to Paris recently and tried some point shoes there I did so I went to Repetto oh my gosh that place is divine I think I spent almost three hours in that store my sister loved it for the first hour and a half and then she was like okay time to go um and I dragged her through that store up and down I tried on I'm trying to remember oh what they're called off the I can't remember Louise it's off the top of my on the tip on the tip of my tongue that's what I'm trying to say yeah um but they've got really beautiful girly names for all their point shoes and the best thing was the pair that I purchased have the ribbons already sewn on oh that's that's a a bit of a um a quick um it's a good sell (laughs) oh yeah that is that's tempting that is isn't it yeah yeah okay yeah yeah So you still had to sew your elastics on, but the ribbons were in, and they were in a good spot. I'll be honest. They weren't in, you know, sometimes when a point shoe has the ribbon sewn in the wrong spot, these, um, these were in a really good spot, at least for me. So I was like sold. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds great. Mind you, they're still sitting in the box. Haven't had a chance to put them on. I'm feeling a bit heavy these days. I don't know whether I could get up onto my point shoes. (laughs) It's 
Yeah, I've recently just started putting point shoes back on again to do a little bit of teaching and it's it's um it definitely took a little bit of no 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 you just need to keep putting them on like the more frequently you can put them on the more yeah. you get used to them isn't it like you'll get used to losing the feelings in your toes. <laughs> As you know, I, I always tell my students to just walk around the house in them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Walk around the house. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's a sensation that's no, like no other. <laughs> yeah. And with that, um, I will say thank you so much for your time and for what a really interesting interview. We covered so many bases, but um, I'm really, really <laughs> Thanks so much, Georgia. And you're a great interviewer. And thanks so much. And congratulations on the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for inspiring me and so many others. And I'll let you go and inspire your next class of students. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.